We're so thankful you've chosen to tune in on whatever platform you're using, whether Podbean or through Facebook or iTunes. Whatever way you're listening, I just want to say thank you for joining in. We'd love to hear from you, so drop a comment to us or email us at thegrove267 at gmail.com. If you want to know more about us as a ministry, go to hisgrove.com, or you can also check us out on Facebook at Deeply Rooted Ministries in Canton, Texas. We believe God wants to use these messages to spread His truth to a needy world, but primarily a needy church, which needs the truth of the Word to resurrect among us so that Heaven's army will be equipped to win souls and train them up in the Lord. Jesus said if we know the truth, it will set us free. So help us to bring freedom to people's lives by sharing these messages in any way you can. Now to our podcast. Well, good morning, listeners, those who are first time and those who are joining us who have been long-time listeners from all over the world, which is still kind of crazy for me to think that there are people all over the world who are listening to this. Um, man, God can use such um, a small amount of our loaves of bread and fishes and do things with it that we never thought would be possible, and that's one of them for me. Uh, it just blows my mind. Um, so welcome. Uh, glad you guys joined us. As you could probably see from the title of what this one's going to be. We are not going to continue in our Colossians study. I know I've got one more chapter to do, but uh, on kind of just in the midst of everything, I guess if you've been living under a rock, maybe you don't know about it, but everything that's going on with Ukraine and Russia and all this stuff, I just really felt this pressing need to um, take a breather uh, from Colossians, and I'm going to pick it up. In fact, I'll probably do the Colossians 4 study right after I'm done with this one, but just take a breather and step back and, and renew our minds and our hearts with a biblical perspective towards what's going on. Um, and before I do that, I want to just take some time, and, and I usually don't do this, and maybe I should do it more often. I, I oftentimes will pray before um, you know, doing these podcasts myself and just making sure that my heart is right. Um, but I want to take some time just right now real quick to pray before we get into this and and ask you guys to really listen and let the Spirit speak to you in this. Not culture, not what you think is right, not what, you know, man says, but what the Spirit is saying through His Word. And, and that's my prayer in this. So I'm just going to take a moment to just pray. Now, so whatever you're doing, obviously if you're driving, don't close your eyes. Um, but whatever you're doing right now, just ask that you would join with me in a spirit of prayer. That the Spirit would guide us through His Word, that He would teach us, and that He would lead us into all truth as the promise is there for those who are willing to follow us. So let me pray. Father, we, we need You, and Your Word um, is the guiding light for our life. It brings conviction. It brings truth. Um, it makes things black and white. And I thank You for that. I thank You, Lord, that You have given us Your Word to lead us, and I pray that as Psalm 119 says, that we would store up your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you, that we would walk in a way that is pleasing to you, that we would seek to discern what is pleasing and acceptable to you in your sight um, as according to your word and the example of Jesus Christ, and Lord, that the Spirit would govern us, that he would lead us, and who would guide us into all truth. Lord, I pray for those who are listening, Lord, that you would um, soften their hearts to your word. Father, I pray that... Um, that your word would have an impact in our life and that we would take it as the governing authority of our life. And so, Father, I pray that as only you can, that you would use these words, that you would use your words to reach the masses. Give us a renewed perspective of what it looks like to follow after you. And it's your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. 
So our theme text is going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, and is actually one that I brought up a few times, I believe it was in Colossians chapter 3 in the podcast I did yesterday on this one, and we're going to go through it primarily through verses 19 through 24, just these six verses, um, and, and we're going to tie in some other scriptures to it, but I want us to get a biblical perspective of war. And let me let me define a couple things just real quick for you guys. Um, I want to tell you the difference between what a pacifist is and somebody who is non-resistant. Okay, so a, a pacifist would be somebody who who lays down, who shrinks back, who who is altogether against. Um, you know, a concept of warfare or retaliating just all altogether against it. They shrink back from it. A non-resistant person is somebody who they could fall into that camp. However, they could also have the courage to stand up. And, and, and what the distinction is between the two is something that we're going to talk about. Is because I, I, I want to give you an example. A, a pacifist would be if there's a, if there's a bully who's attacking a, a, a you know, a weaker kid. A pacifist is going to be on, on the sidelines watching. They're not going to do anything. They, they don't want to jump in because they don't believe in, in resisting in any way, shape, or form. They're going to shrink back. They're going to, to be almost that coward in a sense. The non-resistant person is the one who's going to put themselves in between that bully and that young weakling. And they're going to say, whatever you're going to do to them, do to me. I'm not going to resist you. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to fight back. But I will courageously stand between you. And whatever you have for them, give it to me. I'll take it so that they don't have to. That's the distinction between a pacifist and somebody who's non-resistant. And I want us to understand that because what we're going to look at today is a biblical perspective of how Christians should look at the concept of war. Now, real quick, if you look in you know, John, I believe it's in John 18. I'm actually trying to find it right now real quick. In John 18, 36, um, you're going to find... Um, you know, Pilate and Jesus, and there's this conversation that's going on. And Jesus answered Pilate when he asks him, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. This is in John 18, um, and starting in verse 35 is where I just read. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And in John 15, he tells us that if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But I called you out of the world to be a set-apart people, to be holy in all of your conduct, to have a different kingdom, as Hebrews 13, 14 says, that we seek the city that's to come, not this city here. This is not our home. And that's an important thing to, to remember because... His kingdom is not of this world. And if it was, if his kingdom, anything of this world was his, then we should be fighting to preserve it. But he says otherwise. He says it's not. And so in First Peter chapter 2, I want us to understand something here. In no way is this a pacifistic message in which it is condoning pacifism. This is a, a message that is trying to get us to have a biblical perspective of what it looks like to engage when evil is at hand. And what we as Christians should do. And so we're just going to look at our example. In verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 2, if you can, read along with me. He says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, 
One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, there's a couple things I want to extract from this. One is that term unjustly. It means when there are things that are unfair, when there's injustices going on in your life, and things are happening to you that are just not just. They're not fair. He says, when you're mindful of God, you need to endure whatever sorrows come your way, even when it's unfair, even when it's not right. Even whenever things that are happening to you, you don't deserve. You need to endure it. And the only way you can do that is when you're mindful of God. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say when mindful of God? Well, I think he's going to give us that answer in the last two verses. And we'll get to that in just a second. Because I want you to understand, John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. He offered his Son as a sacrifice, the very one who did not ever sin, who didn't deserve the injustices that came his way, who any form uh, of uh, justice was spared him. He didn't deserve what he got. And you know who put him up there? We did. You see, this is the understanding of the gospel. And I think there's a lot of people who understand um, intellectually that our sin put Jesus on the cross. That I was the one that essentially my, my, my hand held the hammer that drove in those nails. It wasn't just the Romans. It wasn't just the Jews that shouted crucify him. I was part of that because of my sin. It was me. And it was you. And Jesus, the undeserving one, who had never sinned and did nothing worthy of what he took on our behalf, he took it at our hands. And I think a lot of people understand that, but when it comes to actually practically living that out, we have things backwards. We fight when we should lay down, and we lay down when we should fight, and that will make sense in a little bit whenever I keep going in this. He says, so first, when you're suffering unjustly and you are, uh, things are happening you don't deserve, things that are unfair, he says, when mindful of God, you'll go through those things with joy. Just as what Hebrews 12 says, right? Hebrews chapter 12, let me read it so I don't get anything uh, misquoted on it. But in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, it's a famous passage that we quote oftentimes, but I think oftentimes we miss He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, when mindful of God, we endure even in the midst of of being put on a cross unjustly when it's not fair. This is the gospel. This is the gospel we receive and then we have the commission to then live. He goes on, he says, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, listen carefully to me, For to this you have been called. And why? Why would he say that we've been called? He answers it in the next verse. Or in in the the, um, next sentence. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his footsteps. When I take this passage and I, I... inject it into 
my perspective towards warfare. How can we as Christians condone any warfare as, a, as an act of retaliation, as an act of, um, of you know, war and avenging and um, getting what's fair and, and having more power or even preserving our own life, as Luke 9.23 says, that if anyone wants to come after him, he says he must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow him daily. Whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you're concerned about preserving your life, and that's why you retaliate, that's why you defend yourself, then you know very little of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that very carefully. Because what was our example for Christ? Did he ever try to defend his life while he was up on that cross? I think the obvious answer is no. He willingly gave his life even for sinners such as you and I. He willingly put himself on that cross. And you might say, well, that was Jesus. That was his role. That was what he was doing to fulfill you know, what needed to be done. And then he says, and you need to go imitate him. You need to go put yourself on that cross for the sake of others, including those who sin against you, including those who strike you on the cheek, including those who put a crown of thorns on your head, including those who mock you, who seek to shame you. Including those who strip your clothes off and suspend you 12 to 15 feet high up in the air and laugh at you. Including those who beat you. Including those who, who flog you or whip you. This is the example of the cross. And let me ask you, how can we uphold that example as he just said, to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. How can we do that when we engage in warfare and willingly take lives of other people, including innocent people? That's not possible. Those two concepts are completely contrary to each other. There's no way we can do it. Listen to what he goes on to say, because it even gets better. He says, he committed no sin. Please listen carefully to me. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Please listen to what the text is stating. Lay down any preconceived notion. Stop resisting the things in which you should be accepting. When I talked about earlier about how we have things backwards and we lay down when we should be fighting and we fight when we should lay down, it all depends on what perspective are you looking through. Are you looking through a heavenly lens and a spiritual way of looking at things? Or are you looking through a physical lens? Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Humankind or mankind is not our enemy. It's the principalities of the spiritual realm. That's what you should be fighting against. That's what you should take arms against. That's what you should stand up in the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. You should be fighting against him, but all too often, I think Christians today, we lay down our arms against him. We let him have his way with us because we think, well, that's just our lot in life until we get to heaven. And we don't contend. We don't fight against him. But then when it comes time to fight against flesh and blood, we pick up our arms and we fight and we think it's the honorable thing. And yet it's the exact opposite in the new covenant through the blood of Christ because of the example that we have through Christ. 
Because he, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't lie about anything. He did not sin towards anything. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten in return. He continued to suffer through it and endure those sorrows that came his way with joy. Christian, I know that this is a topic that many people um, have a hard time understanding because, um, well, it's been misconstrued throughout the ages, you know, starting from my understanding of, um, you know, way back when, um, I think uh, roughly even in the, the 300s where it came out with a just war theory in which there was proposed that there was times where it was a just war that's not the case. The text doesn't lie. He goes on, he says, and this is the key part, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, Jesus was the epitome of non-resistance. Did he stand up for truth, for the Father's glory, and for his name? Absolutely. Did he ever seek to, to make known the righteousness of God? Absolutely. Did he stand boldly and courageously in the face of many people who opposed him? Absolutely. But did he ever take another person's life? Nope. Did he ever um, come at people to try to take their life? Nope. And you could argue and say that the whip of cords in the time when he cleansed the temple. No, that wasn't at all. Was he going after people to try to strike them and hit them and cause them pain and suffering as a, as a means of hitting them with the whip? Nope. Never says that. It just simply says he drove out the people. He never sinned. And yet because of you and I, he went to the cross on our behalf and he looked at Satan and he said, Satan, whatever you are going to do to them, do it to me. I'll take what is their punishment so they can be spared. And did he ever take a life? Nope, never did. He gave his life. And that, my friends, is what is the distinction between what many people have wrong in this biblical perspective of warfare. Is that people think that taking another person's life when it's quote-unquote warranted or when it's deserved, that that would be an okay thing with God. And it's not. You could go back to the Old Covenant and you could find how men fought with men. They never fought with demons. It was never a spiritual warfare that took place in the Old Testament. You go to the New Testament, you're going to find that men didn't ever wrestle with men. Christian men never fought with other men. They fought with demons. They fought the spiritual warfare. You see, things switched whenever the cross came. And when Jesus was on that cross and he gave his life and he resurrected and that new covenant was started, he gave his spirit to his church so that we would fight the spiritual battles, not the physical ones. It switched. It became a physical covenant or it, it, it switched from being a physical covenant to a spiritual one. And I mean, just listen to the heart of verse 24 of what Peter's writing here to the church. He himself bore our sins 
in his body on that tree. Deuteronomy says that he endured the curse because it says, cursed is he who's hung on a tree. He allowed a curse to be put on him. He allowed his body to be broken, to be abused, to be bloodied, and ultimately to give his life because of us. How can we go into warfare trying to take other people's lives because we think that it's a righteous thing when our example did the exact opposite? He says, by his wounds, you have been healed. And so I I want to throw this out there because I want us to carry a biblical perspective in this What's going on with Russia and Ukraine and what we're condoning, what we're encouraging, what we're actually promoting as Christians. This is not our kingdom. This is not our world. We're, we're in the world, but we are not supposed to be of it. And I see everywhere Christians who have an incorrect perspective, who are trying to uphold or trying to condone things that are going on of what the Ukrainians are doing. And Does it take courage to do what they're doing? Absolutely. I'm not saying... That it doesn't take courage, but, uh, but courage, just when it's misplaced, doesn't mean that it's honoring to God. Many people have had courage over the years. Why is it that we only honor the American soldier at the Battle of Pearl, Pearl Harbor? Did, did it not take the same courage for those kamikaze Japanese fighters to, to give their life for their country? And yet we think that they're the enemy. Why is it only the American soldier that we honor? If courage is what's supposed to be honored, then we should honor every soldier, even if it's the one of our enemy. And we don't do that here in America because we're narrow-minded. And because most American Christians today only know of a physical gospel and their eyes have not been awakened to a spiritual awakening in their own soul to understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 1, 8-9, if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one that I preach, let him be accursed. Let me just tell you, there's a lot of people out there who are accursed today. Because they are preaching and promoting gospels that are not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And their eyes are blinded. Follow the example of Christ. And I'm well aware of all the verses that people try to twist and make it, you know, whether it's they're talking to John the Baptist and the centurions or the soldiers that are like, hey, you know, what are we to do? Well, he didn't tell them to stop fighting. They're also still under the old covenant. And it was John the Baptist, not Jesus. I'm well aware of the one. Look, Lord, here's two swords. And he says, that's enough. Do you know that that was to fulfill all righteousness? It was so that scripture could be fulfilled. Do you really think Jesus was saying two swords for 11 apostles to fight against the army that was coming against them was actually going to be enough? And then take that into what, what Peter did. Peter followed the advice that he thought Jesus was telling him. He picked up the sword. He tried to defend the life of Christ and he got rebuked for it. I'm sure Peter's sitting there thinking like many Christians today, I did the right thing. I was trying to defend Jesus. I mean, this is Jesus of all people. I tried to defend him and he rebuked me for it. I was just following his advice because he said, here are the swords. I was just following his advice. And Peter got rebuked for it because he didn't understand what Jesus was actually stating. 
when he says, you have a sword, but it's not going to be a physical sword. You need to go and sell your cloak, that which covers you, that which clothes you, and you need to invest in a sword. And Ephesians 6 tells us exactly what that sword is. Jesus was trying to show them something that they couldn't see yet because they were still blinded. And it wasn't until Luke 24 when he said, or in John 20, 22, when he breathed on them and he said, receive the promised Holy Spirit. In Luke 24, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's like the two guys on the road to, uh, to Emmaus. They saw Jesus. They heard from him. They talked with him. But they had no idea that it was actually him. Until Jesus had the bread broken. Symbolic of his body being broken. Until his body was broken, we could not see. Because the blessing only comes through brokenness. And until you come to a place where you are broken and you are humbled before the scriptures, you will not see what he is really telling us. You'll not see what I'm telling you right now. I'm in no way saying that we should just lay down and let, things, let people just walk all over us or other people. But what I am saying is that if you are going to put yourself in between them, that you make sure you represent Christ no matter what, and you courageously stand between them and you say, I will not resist you because the Bible says, do not resist the evil one. Or the one who is evil, I should say. You stand in the gap and you say, you want to flog somebody? Flog me, I'll take what's coming to them. You want to beat somebody? You beat me. I'll take what's coming to them and I will not resist you. I will not seek to avenge myself or anyone else as, the, as Romans 12 even says. He says, do not avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. That word for avenge actually covers you or somebody else. He says, it's not up to you. Your job is to represent Christ. If God wants to do something, that's up to him. But your job is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and go out and represent him as Christ and him crucified. That's your job. That's my job. And in no way can we do that when we engage in warfare for physical kingdoms against man. In no way can we do that. Man, how cool would it be if you had a front of Christians who began to fight against the enemy, realizing that the enemy is not flesh and blood, but realizing that it's the enemy is Satan. What if we had a front line of Christians who realized that this was the case and they began to actually engage in warfare in the right battles? Do you understand how strong they'd be? Christian, this is one of those things we've got to grasp because I'm going to tell you the time's coming where we're going to need to understand this. Because it's, if you're listening to this from America or maybe you're from another country, Britain or wherever it might be, and, and you kind of have things, you know, you have a little bit more freedom than what some countries do. The time's coming. You mark my words, the time is coming when you're going to have to have a biblical perspective of knowing how to fight and how to fight like Christ. Because you're going to be tempted in every way to stand up for what you think is fair. And what you think is just. And what you think is right. And you're going to start trying to stand up for things that you have no business standing up for. Instead, you should just entrust yourself to him who judges justly. And say, God knows. He'll take care of me. My job is to be the example of Jesus Christ. The time is coming. And if we don't soon pick up our cross and begin following after Christ and not seeking to save our own life and preserve the life that we want, trying to follow after our will and not His, if we don't start doing that soon, 
And we don't start practicing it when it's easy now. I fear for the church of whenever things get really hard. And whenever that war actually begins to come to your doorstep of how we're going to respond and how we're going to engage. Because all I see out here today, especially in the, in the South, in America, is people who resist authorities, people who want justice, people who are going by a way that seems right to them, not knowing that his way is the way to death. And we've forgotten the example of the cross. That we ourselves were the one who put him there. And it was through his wounds that we find healing. Christian, pick up your cross. Stop fighting the wrong battles. Start getting on your knees. Start getting in the word. And start using the word as your sword against the enemy. Realizing that your enemy is not flesh and blood. Your enemy is not, that's not your enemy. You know, it's actually a funny thing. Uh, It's not a funny thing. It's actually completely um, discouraging and frustrating and, you know, fill in the blank with whatever word it might be. But did you know that I was reading the book called Change of Allegiance by Dean Taylor. It was about his understanding of how when he got into the U.S. military, that was his lifelong dream. Um, He always wanted to be a U.S. soldier. His family would go to the Alamo and they would visit there and he was intrigued by it. He loved it. It was his favorite time of the year is when they would go to the, uh, a, a yearly vacation to the Alamo. But one day he just got into the Word and began to realize that he had the wrong allegiance. That he was in the wrong for being in the military. And I'd encourage you to go read the book. It's a fascinating book. And in this book he was talking about how in Japan... He said that for over 200 years, the Japanese government was trying to eradicate Christians. They didn't want Christians there. And they tried different tactics. Sometimes it was letting them build a church, uh, giving them some sanctioned freedoms to where they would still have control over them. That didn't really work. They still did what the word said. Then it was just outright abuse and trying to imprison them and kill them. And that didn't work. They still did what the word said. And at this point, in northern Japan... Um, they had started to hide in caves because of the government coming after them. And the government could never find them and eradicate Christianity altogether. They, They couldn't do it. Over 200 years, they had never been able to do it. And so at this point, Christians were hiding in caves and they were, you know, worshiping in these caves. They were reading scriptures in the caves. They were fellowshipping together in the caves. And the Japanese authorities couldn't find them. And then came this day in which a bomb was dropped in Nagasaki. And Christianity was eradicated. In a blink of an eye, in roughly nine seconds, Christianity was eradicated by a bomb that the Americans dropped on Nagasaki. We would call that collateral damage. I call it a shame. Christians were eliminated. Can you tell me in any way how that is Christ-like? I'd encourage you to get into the Word, to ask God for spiritual awakening and understanding, and really study the example of Christ. 
In no way, again, am I saying that we need to take a a pacifistic approach to this. And I might have just made up that word. I have no idea. But you know what I mean. I think that we should, with courage, be immovable from the truth. And we should stand for God and stand for His truth. But in no way do I think that we need to do it in an image that is not representative of Christ. And so I hope that this challenges you. I hope that it is something that the Lord is going to use, that the Spirit, that if you are truly saved, if you are truly abiding in Him, that the Spirit of God will awaken you to see what truth really states and who we are to really be. But I want you to get into the Word and I want you to begin getting on your knees and representing Christ the way that He commands and is worthy of representation. God is making his appeal to the world through us as ambassadors of Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. Did, did you hear what I said? God is making his appeal to the world through us of what it looks like, of who Christ was and who he is and how worthy he is of our holy representation to his name. He's using us. So if you're not representing him the way that he was and the way that he is as according to his word, then the world will never see Him. The world needs to see Christ for who He is, not for who you want Him to be. Because that is the only thing that can save the world. There's more writing on the line. There's more at stake than just your perspective. Your perspective could be leading people to hell. And that might be a harsh word for you. You might look at that and be like, no, I'm not that strong. I'm not that powerful to do that. Well, the word says otherwise. Sometimes the only Jesus that people are going to see is you and I. Represent him well. And represent him as he is according to his word. And stay on that cross. Don't seek to preserve your life. But endure sorrows and sufferings, even if it means that you do it unjustly, endure it in the way that he did. Y'all be blessed.